0: Welcome to another podcast from Basic Scotland. These are a series of brief snapshots about less talked about topics within pre-hospital care in Scotland and some deep dives into some more specialist areas with experts from a variety of disciplines. My name's Dave, I'm an army surgical trainee, a basics responder and a mountain rescue doctor based in Pitlochry. Joining us today is Lisa Artis. Lisa is the current head of the National Sleep Council and has been working for them for about nine years. She's a children's sleep practitioner, did a little bit of work in public relations before this, and I gather is a proud Yorkshire lass, and has been working alongside the Sleep Council, trying to spread the message about healthy sleep and how we can sleep better. Lisa, many thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So I guess the first question I want to ask is, what is sleep and why do we waste a third of our lives doing it?
1: Do you know, it's really funny, but actually no one really knows why we sleep. And you're right, we do spend around a third of our lives asleep and we do know that we can't survive without it. In fact, going without sleep makes you psychotic and it does eventually kill you. And, you know, we do know that, you know, it's often used as a a torture device as well because people can't physically not go to sleep it's sort of inbred with inside of us to do that we know it's crucial to the body's ability to function both physically and mentally we know it regulates our mood it improves our memory but it also does things like maintain our health our weight and our energy levels as well so it does look like sort of nature intended us to sleep and that's why i think it's really important that we make sure that the sleep that we do get is of the best quality which does benefit your health and well-being. We talk a lot about sleep quality rather than sleep quantity, because we do think people get really hung up on the number of hours they need to sleep. And actually it's about the sleep that you do get being of the best quality it can be.
0: Now, I'm guessing that medical professionals, we have a reputation for not being the best sleepers. And I suspect part of that is due to the the kind of chaotic lifestyles that we lead. What makes for bad sleep?
1: There's lots of factors that can impact on our sleep. And the top thing that comes out time and time again is stress and worry. And whether that's, you know, whether that's kind of like you're doing frontline work, whether, you know, you're worrying about health and well-being, whether you're worrying about your finances, whether you're worrying about your children. We find that stress and worry really does sort of top the pole when it comes to not getting a good night's sleep. And that's because when we're stressed and anxious, obviously it ramps up that flight and fight response mode and everything starts to start to kind of get, all the adrenaline starts running. And that's why it's really important that we talk about wind down routines when it comes to bedtime, because if we don't take that time to kind of process any stress and worries that we've got, then that's why you'll find most people can't go to sleep at night and other factors that influence our sleep are obviously if you've got children you know we know that parents don't sleep very well if they've got small children we like to think that that kind of passes by the time a child is five and i think there is some really scary statistic out there about how much sleep you do lose in sort of those first five years of having a child the environment we sleep in not a lot of people realize but your bedroom environment does play a huge part in how well you sleep and you, what you're looking for is a bedroom that is cool. So we're talking around 16 to 18 degrees Celsius. It needs to be dark. Light plays a really important role in kind of our sleep-wake cycles. So we would always say use blackout blinds, use heavy lined curtains when it comes to getting to sleep on an evening. You need it to be clutter-free. And that sounds really ridiculous because you sleep with your eyes closed. But <laughs> what you don't want to do is the last thing to be seen before you get into bed is a messy bedroom with paperwork on the floor you know piles of laundry that need putting away it's just not conducive to getting a good night's sleep and we we also look at things like you know noise you know where you live does noise impact on your sleep therefore you know use earplugs where possible if you're in a you know live in a sort of busy city center or near a train line or anything like that And also, you know, you should look at your bed because we can do lots of things right, like not drinking alcohol and having these heavy lined curtains and doing relaxation exercises. But if you're sleeping on an old kind of lumpy with springs poking out mattress, then chances are you're not going to sleep very well either.
0: I just want to pick up on two things you mentioned there. The first was the concept of a wind down routine. And the second was to pick your brains about alcohol.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a wind down routine. When we talk about getting a good night's sleep, we, we always sort of touch on the three hours, and that's regular hours, a routine and a restful environment. Now, a regular hours doesn't always work when you're doing shift work. We understand that. But the other two things you can put into practice. So I've just talked about a restful environment and what that looks like. But then we talk about a routine. And when we talk about a routine, our bodies take cues from things that we do in an evening to sort of start that kind of, oh, this is part of my bedtime routine now. And that's why we talk about things like making sure you have an hour before bedtime to yourself. So in that hour before bedtime, we want you to switch off gadgets. So that's obviously like things like your mobile phone, any tablets, and even the TV to a certain extent. We want you to... Do something that's relaxing. Now, I'm very much of the opinion that what works for one person doesn't work for the other. You know, some people absolutely hate reading books. Some people absolutely hate having a warm bath. So it's about finding what works for you in terms of relaxation. So obviously, there are things to think about, such as, you know, having a nice warm bath with lovely bubbles. (laughs) There is reading a book. There is doing meditation or mindfulness some people really appreciate doing things like relaxation exercises and breathing exercises and one of the things i would often say is is part of that wind down routine is if stress and worry is something that is stopping you sleeping is to write down your sort of thoughts and feelings in a journal in a notebook that you can keep by the side of the bed or even if it's a to-do list for the next day because what often happens is people get into bed and their mind starts going overdrive about the things that have bothered them that day or what's going to happen tomorrow or you know if you're a busy parent it could be that i've got children's lunch boxes to make in the morning and i need to get the dentist booked in and things like that so the wind down routine is really about setting aside an hour and we say an hour cuz i think that's a, a good length of time but if an hour is too much in terms of because of a busy schedule that you might have, make time for 30 minutes. Everyone can make time for 30 minutes before bedtime and you're using that time to kind of process the day and to relax basically because let's face it, you can't expect to be kind of running around in it and doing any kind of household chores or have been checking your work emails or gaming or something like that and then kind of hop into bed and kind of hope that you're gonna fall asleep instantly. It just doesn't work like that. The brain and the body needs sufficient time to kind of wind down. And that's why, you know, we just say, switch off gadgets, find something relaxing that works for you. It could be having a warm, milky drink. It could even be listening to some like soothing music. But as, as you sort of mentioned then, what, what, what we don't want people to do is, in order to relax, is obviously to drink alcohol. Uh, no. Yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> I was, I was going to jump in there because, you know, quite often after a stressful day at work, I'll reach for a dram of malt whiskey and, and that is sort of part of my process of putting the day to bed. I'm guessing it's not an entirely healthy thing to do, but how damaging is a small nip before bed?
1: I would say one small sort of drink in the evening or even two small drinks in the evening is fine. What we find is people who are using it as a sleep aid is where we have issues because what we don't want to do is solely rely on the alcohol as a as a relaxant and also because it does initially help you fall asleep. It, it does make you fall asleep faster. The problem it has is that sleep you get isn't as refreshing because when you've been drinking alcohol you end up waking quite frequently in the night sometimes you don't know about it sometimes you do and that's because usually you're dehydrated or you need the loo and it stops you going into your REM sleep and your REM sleep is the sleep that you need for like restoration basically so that's why we say don't use it as a sleep aid it's okay with like your evening meal to maybe have a, a a small drink or two, you know, we're not, we're not the sleep police and we don't want people to never do things that they enjoy doing. But what you don't want to do is, is rely on large quantities of alcohol in order to make you fall asleep. Because if you're having that much trouble falling asleep, then you really do need to be kind of assessing the reasons why because, as I said, it does rob you of one of the most satisfying types of sleep, and that's where your dreams occur in REM sleep.
0: What about those nights where you've taken your time, you've decompressed from the day, you go upstairs to your bed, it's nicely decluttered and cool, and and everything is looking tickety-boo, and for one reason or another, your brain just won't seem to switch off, and for the next two hours, you lie there staring at the ceiling. How are we best to manage that kind of really irritating situation?
1: Absolutely. And we've all been there, do you know what I mean? There is no one who is that perfect, who has never had trouble falling asleep or possibly even just waking up in the night. I mean, I've done it myself. Sort of three o'clock in the morning. It seems to be a, a particular time that people wake up and struggle to get back off to sleep. And again, what we would say in this situation is if it's a one-off, you know, then it's fine. You know, don't, don't start worrying about it. The things that we need to do is, I would always say, if you've not fallen asleep after 15, 20 minutes, you need to get up and out of the bedroom. Because what we do is we start to associate the bed and the bedroom as being a place of where we're a bit anxious around sleep, because you'll know yourself, if you've ever woken up at sort of three o'clock in the morning, and you've gone, my alarm's going off in, in four hours, I've only got four hours left to go to sleep. And then it's four o'clock and you're like, oh, now I've only got three hours left to sleep. It sets off a cycle of anxiety. So if you've not fallen asleep within sort of 15, 20 minutes, it's really important to get up, get out of the bedroom and go do something relaxing until you start to feel sleepy again. And that's the same at bedtime. So if you get into bed at 11 o'clock at night and within sort of 15, 20 minutes, you're still wide awake, you know, your mind's buzzing, and you've done everything that you should have done on the run up to bedtime. I would say get up and go and do something relaxing again. You know, go make a warm, milky drink, go read a book, go listen to some soothing music. And when you start to feel sleepy again, try and go back to bed. What often happens is this will only happen to people every now and again, once in a blue moon. Again, I would strongly sort of suggest anybody who's experiencing this night after night should again look overall at their sort of sleep and lifestyle habits and maybe complete like an online sleep diary which you can sort of just track what you're doing over the period of two weeks and it does really sort of help to go actually these things happened on these days when i didn't sleep was it because i drank too much alcohol or was it because i didn't exercise enough or did i have a really bad day at work and was that the reason you know it is okay to have one or two bad night sleeps you know we want people to realize that it's not uncommon to have that it's just when you're having them say three or four times a week
0: One of the things that I find quite often at work we get the ability to kind of catnap through a shift or I guess it works the other way at, you know at home if you've got young kids and you're not necessarily getting a full night's sleep but you're sort of napping in between times. Is there any way we can maximize those power naps?
1: Oh, I love a good power nap. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So anyone who is doing shift work and the, like, again, sort of parents with young children, you know, a power nap is really good at just kind of helping to recharge the batteries. We would say, you know, a good power nap shouldn't really last any longer than 30 minutes as a short power nap. It's that you either should sleep either about 30 minutes or about 90 minutes, because what happens is our sleep cycles are around roughly sort of 90 minutes long. And if you wake up within the first 30 minutes, you're only in light sleep, so you can easily be aroused and you don't feel groggy when you wake up. If you leave it longer and you sleep for an hour, the chances are you're going to be trying to wake up in what's classed as deep sleep. And that's when you wake up and you feel really groggy and disorientated. So we would either say 30 minutes or if you need longer, go for the 90 minutes. And a good tip is if you're going to have a short power nap is to drink a cup of coffee before you do a nap. Because actually then, by the time you wake up after 30 minutes, the effects of the coffee, or a cup of tea even, and the benefits of a nap are really good at sort of increasing energy levels afterwards. And When you're trying to nap, try to pick somewhere that's quiet and restful. Don't try to nap, you know, in a in a really kind of light, bright, noisy place. If you can, try and find somewhere that's a little bit darker, a little bit cooler, a little bit quieter that's always helpful. And sometimes even if you can't nap, even just spending sort of 20 to 30 minutes just relaxing can can be beneficial to people who are then going to do shift work or know they're going to have a disrupted night's sleep.
0: I was going to touch on the fact that you also mentioned caffeine there, which is one of my other many bad habits. Yeah, I seem to be at a point where I can consume caffeine all day and quite happily still get a night's sleep. Is there evidence that that actually my sleep quality is less good because of caffeine intake?
1: No, absolutely not. So the thing with caffeine is it's about sensitivity to it. So I'm like you, I can drink tea on an evening and it has no impact on my sleep whatsoever. Some people are so sensitive that they just can't drink it after midday because it keeps them wide awake. So. I would say if you were struggling to sleep or you were struggling because you felt really wide awake and alert at nighttime and you have been drinking lots of caffeine, you know, really late afternoon and early evening, then that'd be one of the first things I would suggest that you cut down on. But it doesn't affect the quality of your sleep if you're sleeping well. You know, while obviously caffeine does increase alertness and it can cause insomnia for some people, for others, it has no impact at all.
0: That's really interesting one of the things i want to pick your brains about is about staying awake which might seem slightly daft for a a podcast about sleep but unfortunately the nature of medical work means that frequently there are times when we can't afford to sleep for one reason or another whether that's because we need to drive to complete a shift or because we need to look after a patient using the opposite of what you know about sleep what are the best ways that we can keep ourselves awake so
1: I, I would suggest, obviously, like we were just talking about, if you can get a power nap in there, that would be fantastic. Light is a really big part in sleep. And, and I mean that in sort of both sort of being awake and going to sleep. So when it comes to bedtime, you know, you want your bedroom to be as dark as possible because what happens in darkness is your melatonin, which is a sleepy hormone, increases, and that's what you need to go to sleep. If you're trying to stay awake, you want to be in as much light as possible. So therefore you need to be exposing yourself to kind of bright light. So if it's in the evening and you know, it's dark, you need to be using sort of overhead strip lighting or using light boxes, things that suppress the melatonin levels, which is what you need to stop feeling sleepy. Things like getting fresh air where possible always helps kind of boost alertness and keeping well hydrated as well finding things like if you get a chance to kind of listen to some upbeat music you know in and amongst is just a good way of kind of provoking that alert hormone so that's really important as well.
0: What about exercise because it seems to be very divisive often if I wake up in the morning and need to be wide awake I'll go out and stretch my legs but equally in the evening if I want to wind down and relax I'll also go out for a run so how does exercise interplay with sleep?
1: yeah i mean exercise is really good for sleep and you know that's why a lot of elite athletes now as well pay attention to their sleep because they know the two things work hand in hand often we would say the best time to probably exercise is either the morning or early evening if you leave it too close to bedtime you can find that there's too much kind of adrenaline and endorphins kind of running around to make you feel sleepy but i would also say that If that's the only time you can exercise and it helps to kind of relieve any kind of stresses or tensions of the day, then do it because I think it's more important that your kind of mental health before bedtime is in a good place because we've sort of just mentioned, you know, stress and anxiety is the main reason why people don't sleep. Obviously, working out tires your body out and that's what helps get a better night's sleep. Ideally, if you were gonna do exercise closer to bedtime, it would be more gentle exercise like yoga. But for yourself, if going for a run sort of, you know, helps you to kind of unwind and process the day, and then you've got sufficient time when you come back to kind of relax before bedtime, then do it. Absolutely do it. You know, exercise, you know, is great for sleep. And I think I would rather people do exercise when they can then don't do any at all, because it it does have an impact.
0: Fantastic. The other thing that's changed in the last few years is that more and more people have got smartwatches, smartphones, devices that have got sleep trackers on them. Are they any good?
1: In a word, no. (laughs) While it's been absolutely great that smart apps have made people more Sleep aware, because I think up until they came around, people weren't really interested in sleep. So they've been great in in terms of an education point of view. But the problem is, is that they're not accurate, and people are relying on them too much. If them, what they think is accurate data around their sleep, and there has been a term coined. I think it was a, maybe a couple of years ago when trackers were really a kind of at the the heights of popularity. I think it was called something like orthosomnia. And it's when people were almost becoming obsessed with their sleep through their sleep trackers, causing another level of anxiety because they were actually stressing about how much sleep they were getting because of their sleep trackers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so really, they're great if you just take it with a pinch of salt in terms of looking at roughly maybe how many hours of sleep you've had, but they don't really measure the different sort of levels of sleep you get. So I we have a lot of people who come onto us and say things like, My sleep tracker says I, I never had any deep sleep last night and I woke 25 times in the night. And so that can't be good. So therefore I've definitely not slept very well. And yeah, I'm tired today and I'm not going to sleep well tonight because I've not slept well for three days, according to my tracker. And we're like, but how do you actually feel today? Are you actually feeling okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I feel fine, but my sleep tracker said I didn't sleep well, so I've definitely not slept well. And we're like, well, it is actually normal to kind of be awake several times in the night. Sometimes you don't even realize you've been awake. You know, we do have these awakenings every single night. And what we don't want is people to start stressing about their sleep when there's actually no need to stress about their sleep if you've been sleeping the same and you've been feeling really well and healthy and fine and full of energy then there's nothing wrong with your sleep even if your sleep tracker is saying otherwise so i'm not a big fan of them if i'm being honest because i do think they create an anxiety around sleep that's not necessary and as i said the data isn't accurate and i think they're a useful tool if you're just trying to look at your sleep really generally, and it, they can be an incentive to improve your sleep habits. I just think they are in danger of people putting too much trust in them. And you know the only real way to kind of track and evaluate your sleep is by going to a sleep lab for testing.
0: So trust your symptoms rather than what the machine is yeah, telling you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So you know, the, I always say the best way to determine how well you've slept is to look at how you feel at about sort of half 10 11 o'clock in the morning so most people wake up to an alarm and that we have to set an alarm you know mainly because of school or work but generally most people wake up to an alarm and that alarm can often wake you up mid-sleep cycle unless you're very clever and have worked out exactly how much sleep you need and how many sleep cycles you're going to have a night and what time you would need to wake up so When you wake up mid-sleep cycle, as I said sort of earlier, you can feel a little bit groggy and disorientated. However, that feeling passes by the time you've opened your curtains, you've got a bit of light on your face, you've had a shower and you've gone downstairs to kind of make that first cup of tea. If you're still feeling groggy and disorientated and lethargic at half past 10 in the morning, that's when I would be saying, you've probably not slept well then because by that point, you should just be absolutely fine. You know, you should be ready to get on with your day. You should be wanting to bounce around and, you know, be really productive. And if you're not, then I would start to say, well, if this is how you feel every day at half 10, you're still feeling like this, then you really need to start looking at at your sleep. You know, what have you been doing in the run up to bedtime? You know, what have you been doing in the daytime to impact on your sleep? You know, have you eaten a large meal and had indigestion? Have you been using alcohol to sleep? Do you know if you've been waking several times in the night because you need the loo or because of snoring or anything like that?
0: That's fantastic, Lisa. Thanks for having such a good kind of rundown of the key elements of our sleep. One thing we've been asking all of our presenters to do is to give us three top tips for folk in your case to to try and improve their sleep quality
1: yeah no absolutely my sort of top three things would be make time for a wind down routine because even if it's just for 30 minutes and use that time wisely do something that makes that's relaxing for you you know it doesn't have to be a this list of prescribed things that we say it's whatever you find relaxing that doesn't involve you know gadgets or gaming devices or anything like that I would say it's really important to kind of write down any worries or thoughts before bedtime. It's almost like you're kind of offloading them so that when you get into bed, you've kind of got a clear mind. And I would say really look at your bedroom environment and that includes obviously, you know, it being cool, it being quiet and dark, having a good bed and clearing up any mess that you've
0: got. Lisa, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on and and explaining to us both the kind of common pitfalls and what we can do about it. Hopefully, the basics guys out there will be sleeping somewhat better as a result. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.